Good morning, and a warm welcome to you this morning to Ladywell Baptist Church and to our service of worship. It's great to be together this Sunday. It's great to be able to come and worship God, to be called into his presence, to sing him praise and to come before him in prayer and to hear from his word. And we'll do all of this in just a few short moments. This week we have, as usual, uh, our Monday night drop-in cafe and our Wednesday night Bible study and prayer meeting, both at half past seven on Monday and on Wednesday, uh, and both of them are on Zoom. And if you would like to connect in with that, then you'd be most welcome, just as you're welcome to participate in this time of worship this Sunday. Just get in touch with us and let us know and we can connect you in, whether you're a member of Ladywell Baptist Church or not. Just as we begin our time of worship this morning, uh, we note that it's Father's Day today and we want to celebrate uh, our dads and give thanks to God for them. And we're going to pray in just a few short moments to give thanks to God for uh, parents, for our dads in particularly, and for all that they've done for us. But we also want to be reminded that as much as we're thankful to God uh, for our dad, that, that our dads are human. They are frail and weak as we are, and not all of us have had a great experience uh, of uh, an earthly parent, an earthly dad. Some of us have had dads who've been caring and nurturing and loving and kind. Some of us have had dads who haven't been there at all. Some of us don't feel perhaps very thankful for our dads as our experience has been negative. But as we worship this morning, we're reminded that we don't just give thanks for our biological parent. We want to give thanks to God for who he is as our heavenly father. He is perfect where our earthly parents are not. And so we're going to give thanks to God, not just for the dad that he has given you, has given you life, but the dad that he is to you, the father who is perfect, who always cares for you and who has offered you the greatest gift of all, not just life, but life with him, salvation. We hear these words in the opening verses of First John chapter 3. See what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John's hope is that we would recognize we are children of God when we have been um, saved in Jesus' name, when we have called upon Jesus to save us and transform us from the sin that uh, infects and damages all our lives. We have in God the perfect Father who never leaves us or forsakes us, who is always there, always attentive, always loving and kind, who always sees that we are led in the right way, who disciplines us as any loving parent should. So let's come together at the beginning of this time of worship and give thanks to God for our earthly parents, our dad. But let's give thanks also for the perfect heavenly father we have in God himself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning at the beginning of this new week. And Lord, we ask that you would draw us into your presence this day, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, not in ignorance, not in haste or foolishness. But Lord, we might come aside at the beginning of this week 
knowing what we are doing and worship you, give thanks to you for all that you are to us and all that you have done for us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you on Father's Day for our earthly parents, for our dad who has been so instrumental in giving us life and in raising us, informing who we are and shaping us. Lord, we recognize this is the case whether we've had a good or or a bad experience of an earthly parent. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to give thanks for the life that we have because of our parents. And Lord, regardless of the experience of them that we have had, we pray that you would draw our eyes upwards from our earthly fathers to you, our heavenly Father. Lord God, we thank you for all that you are to us. And Lord, we ask that you would bless us, care for us, nurture us, lead us on, give us all we need as you desire to do as our perfect heavenly parent. Lord God, for those of us who are fathers, we ask that you would bless us. We are so aware of our own frailty, our own weakness, and we ask that you would encourage us and equip us to be better parents to our children. Lord, that we would seek to um, bless and equip and encourage in every way that our children might know of you, might know of the faith that we have, and so be led on, as we read in Scripture, that we would discipline our children and teach them the way that they should go so that they wouldn't depart from it as they are older. Lord God, we ask that you would have us present a, a good image of what a father ought to be. And Lord, we ask that when we fail, as we inevitably will, that you would have us come to you, seek forgiveness, that you would have us go to our children, seek forgiveness, and seek to go on from that place, Lord, showing what a father ought to be, pointing always to you. Lord God, we thank you for the family unit. We thank you for parents, for mums and for dads and for the way that they are to embody all that you are as our heavenly parent. And Lord God, as we begin our worship at the beginning of this new week, we ask that you would equip us in this way, that you would use our family units to be the the foundation of uh, our life and our learning together, so that as we go into the week, Lord, we would be blessed, not just as individuals, but as a church together, that we would be strong as a family unit. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would have us rely upon you more and more as each day goes by, that you would be glorified and honored in our lives. And Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Today's reading is taken from Genesis chapter 22, the sacrifice of Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. 
I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chaste, Hazel, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Meacah. May God add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. Let's come together in prayer. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we come before you this morning as a people who so desperately need a father. Lord, we need someone to care for us, to guide us, to lead us, to shape us and mold us into the people that we would desire to be more than that, the people that you would desire us to be. We realize how much we struggle and how often we fail in this life. And Lord God, we would have someone come to lead and guide us. And Lord, we thank you that you are that one who would come and Lord would transform our lives, would open our eyes to the reality of the dire state that we are in. Lord, that we are sinners, men and women hell-bent on living our lives for ourselves, satisfying our own desires, and yet for all that we labor to that end, we are so terribly unhappy and dissatisfied. Lord God, we thank you that in coming and 
sending your Son to die on the cross. Lord, that our sins might be paid for by his sacrifice. Lord, you adopt us into your family. Lord God, you make us your children. You become our Heavenly Father. And Lord, you don't simply take us from one place to another, transform our lives from one kind of life to a different kind. Lord, you lead us on from that moment all the days of our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you are a loving and a caring Father, a gentle Father. Lord, we thank you that you don't simply point us in the direction that we ought to go and encourage us in that way. Lord, you actually give us uh, the desire to walk in that path. Lord, you equip us by your Spirit and through your Word and through the church to walk in that direction that is good for us to go in. Lord, you lead us constantly. Father, you rebuke us when we go the wrong way. You train us to understand how we are to live. Lord, you are so good to us. And we want to give you thanks. Lord, whatever our individual experience of an earthly father may be, whether it is good or bad, we recognize that you are perfect. And so, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus, all that you continue to do in us and through us. In his name, by his spirit. And Lord God, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would be not just a father to us, but a father to a great many people without number in this place. Lord God, we ask that you would transform a great many more lives. You would adopt a great many more children. And Father, to that end, we pray as a church that you would send us out into Livingston and Scotland and the rest of the world. And Lord, you would send us out with the gospel, the good news that Jesus is a savior to those who need him. Lord, that he will come and by his sacrifice, anyone can be adopted into your family, can have you as their perfect father. And Lord God, we ask that you would equip us as a church to that end. You would give us a passion, a conviction, a zeal, a desire for that work. And Lord God, we pray that you would bring great transformation to Ladywell and Livingston, West Lothian, Scotland and the world. It seems like such a tall order for our little fellowship. And yet, Lord, we know it can be done for you are a God who is able to do all things. Heavenly Father, we recognize there is much need in our town and in our world at this moment, particularly in light of coronavirus. And so, Lord, we ask that you would send us out into this world with this message of hope, this transforming message of hope. Lord God, we give you thanks that you are already at work through this church in this community. And Lord, we pray that we would not simply be a listening ear, that we would not simply be hands giving out food to those who are hungry, but, Lord, that we would be the means of grace whereby people are eternally transformed, are given more than just bread that will last for a day. But, Lord, we would be those who carry this message of everlasting life, bread that will never run out, water that will never cease to satisfy. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all that you have done for us. 
And we pray, Lord, that you would send us out to be messengers of hope to our community and to our world, that they might have what we have, that they might be satisfied as we are satisfied, transformed as we have been transformed, might know a loving Father that we know. Lord God, we pray not just for the world, but for our fellowship. There are many in uh, our congregation here who are sick and who are struggling. And Lord, in this time, we lift them before you by name. Lord, we ask that you would bless them with the knowledge of your presence, the knowledge that you are their loving Father. You will never leave them or forsake them. You will help them through whatever their present struggle is. And Lord, strengthen them that they might emerge out the other side more convinced of your love for them and for their fellow brothers and sisters in this church, fellow citizens in this world. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We lay ourselves before you and ask that you might move in our midst. Lord, we have great need, but you are a great provider. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and praise and ask that you might meet with us all in this time as our Father this morning. Lord God, we ask all this in our Savior's perfect, precious, and powerful name. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Over this past couple of weeks, we've seen uh, events which have shaken our uh, society, both on this side of the Atlantic and on the other in the United States. Our culture seems to be constantly at war with itself as different elements of our society voice great frustrations they have with uh, those they live in the midst of. We've seen great protests and rallies. We've seen riots and towns and, and cities not just being um, rocked by, by great numbers of people, frustrated, in many cases angry people coming together to protest, but actually coming together and destroying property, burning towns. And it perhaps shakes us a little bit that we think this might happen in our society, in 21st century um, Scotland or, or United Kingdom or the Western world. Surely this is a thing that belongs to a bygone era or another part of the world. The basis of all of this frustration ultimately comes down to trust. A, a group of people feel they do not trust their government. They do not trust the police force that has been tasked uh, to maintain law and order. They do not trust their fellow citizens to look out for them and have their best interests at heart. And there are all sorts of reasons as to why that might be. And it's not for us to spend time talking about that this morning. But it ultimately boils down to this issue of trust. Do you really have my best interests at heart? Because if you don't, then I don't know that I can be near you. You might harm me at some point in the future. I need to look after myself, look out for number one and perhaps other people like me because I don't believe that you will. This isn't just a problem that we see manifest at this time uh, with Black Lives Matter or other organizations um, in the world. It's an issue that we have constantly ourselves. It's something that we always struggle with. It's one of the reasons why, as a Christian people, if you are a Christian watching this or listening to this this morning, that we struggle with sin. 
We constantly fail in our life with God. We know we ought not to sin, but we do. And part of that is because we don't trust. God says he will be our savior. He will be our heavenly father, a a perfect parent to us. And yet when we sin, we are saying we don't really trust God. We believe there is something better for us in the world somewhere that, that if we just have that thing that God hasn't seen fit to provide for us at this time, then we would be better off. And so we're going to go our own way. It's what we see in, uh, in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? When the serpent says to Eve that, that God doesn't have your best interest at heart. You should eat from the tree that God says you, you shouldn't have eaten from because he's withholding something from you that actually would be better if you had it. And so Eve gives in to temptation and eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What God's told them that under no circumstances they're to eat from. In that moment where she doesn't trust God, she gives in to temptation and succumbs and enters into sin. And we've been paying for that ever since. It's the same in our own lives, lest we look down on Adam and Eve. We constantly give in to temptation to sin because we believe in that moment that that, that sinful thing will deliver us something better than God has for us. We don't trust God. And so as we come to this passage in Genesis, we are helped, we are equipped to be led further on in our maturity as a Christian men and women in trusting our God. When Abraham finally has this son Isaac that he's longed for, we find God leads him to this point where he is tested. And this test, although it's familiar to us, seems in so many ways to be grossly unfair. The story begins with God speaking to Abraham. He calls and Abraham answers and God tells him that he would like Abraham to take this son he has longed for for decades that God has promised him and they're going to go to a certain mountain. And when they get to this certain mountain, Abraham is going to be expected to sacrifice this son on an altar, slaughter him and burn his body on an altar. Now, this is no metaphorical sacrifice that he wants Abraham to give Isaac over to God, that God might use him for his plans, and and Abraham would be okay with Isaac going off and doing his own thing. This is no metaphorical sacrifice. This is a literal sacrifice, the slaying of his son and presenting him on an altar to be burned for the glory of God. And we might scratch our heads, as I'm sure Abraham did, when we hear these words and wonder how on earth the God of the Bible could ever ask anyone to do such a thing. And yet we find from the story that Abraham is willing to go and do this thing. And we can't begin to imagine the struggle that Abraham must have had as he heard these words and yet knew that that this must be done and so was willing to actually go and do it. This son he longed for. What would he say to Sarah when he came home without their son? What would he say to his people? How would he be viewed by his own family as, as someone willing to slaughter a child of his? All the promises of God to Abraham in that moment are being called into question. Surely Abraham has doubted perhaps over the course of his life that God would give him these promises as we've thought about in previous weeks. And finally when Isaac comes along, realization dawns, God's plans and purposes have 
come, that they are being fulfilled. But now, in this moment, it's all being called into question again. It's a truly astonishing passage. But it speaks not of the callousness of God or the callousness of Abraham, as we'll go on and see. But it speaks of a truly astonishing obedience to God on the part of Abraham. So we find God says to Abraham, in almost comical terms, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. He, he doesn't leave any opportunity for Abraham to weasel out of sacrificing Isaac. I, Abraham couldn't hear these words and think, well, I'll sacrifice Ishmael instead. He is my son and he's now become a bit of a spare wheel. Now I have Isaac, who is going to be the fulfillment of all God's promises. He says, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go. He just heaps up phrase after phrase, which narrows and narrows and narrows the focus. So there is no opportunity for it to be anybody else. It is your son. It is your only son. It is the son that you love most in all the world. It is Isaac, Abraham. Take that son and go. And the amazing thing is, Abraham does it. He takes Isaac and he goes. And they go on a long journey, perhaps three days, and they walk up this mountain and they make everything ready. And Abraham presents his son on the altar and makes that sacrifice ready. Isaac is not a little boy at this point. Abraham is an old man. This is not something that would have been easy for him to do where he would just pick up a child and bind him and lay him on the altar. This is a young and fit and healthy man that is about to be presented on an altar by his father. As they go to, to, um, towards this mountain on this journey, his son recognizes that there is no sacrifice to, to be presented on this altar to worship God. Where is the sacrifice? Abraham explains that the Lord will provide a sacrifice. They walk up the mountain and Isaac walks up the mountain with the wood that he will be burned on across his shoulders on his back. He carries the means of his own death up this mountain to the place where sacrifice will be made. Abraham trusts along every step of the way, that God will provide the means of worship and will provide the means where the promises of God will be worked out in all their fullness in Abraham's life. If Abraham sacrifices Isaac, all will be lost. So there must be something. God must do something that is consistent with his promises. And in Hebrews 11, we read that Abraham believed God would raise his son from the dead if necessary, because the promises of God could not fail. Astonishing trust in God. And let's be frank here. God does not raise people from the dead at the drop of a hat. This happens so rarely in Scripture, we can name every instance where it occurs. Yet Abraham trusts. And as we think about this story and we see this trust, we don't just marvel, but we must ask how this trust 
It is worked out in Abraham's life that we might understand and be trusting as children of God also. And we find that Abraham's trust begins first in listening to God. God says, Abraham, and Abraham answers, here I am. I'm ready. Speak. He was ready and willing to hear what the Lord had to say, regardless of what God was then going to go on and say. And that is something that we should consider for a moment. Abraham doesn't bracket his willingness to hear with a proviso that that he's willing to hear as long as it's something good, as long as it's something that he's going to understand or appreciate or, or benefit from. He simply offers himself up to God and says, say what you're going to say. I'm listening. It was enough that the Lord was speaking. There was an activeness to Abraham's relationship with the Lord that we must see here. He isn't clinging on in the hope that things would work out soon and was listening and and would do what God said provided it fitted with his understanding of where God would lead him and what God would ask him to do. He was active in listening to the Lord so that whatever the Lord said he would take in and then go and obey even when the Lord had some hard things for Abraham to hear. And this is where our trust in God must begin. There's a sense in which, if you're a Christian today, this is where your relationship with the Lord has already begun. You were made aware at some point in your life that you were a sinner. You were causing a constant affront to God's holiness. You were offending him by your actions. Everything you did was mired in sin, was marked, corrupted, tainted by sin. And so you could never come close to God, never have a relationship with God. He could never be your father. You could never be his child because of something that completely infects and colors your whole life. And that's hard to hear, isn't it? If you're not a Christian and you're hearing this today, maybe that causes you to be offended. I could understand how it would. No one wants to be told that they're a sinner, that they're constantly doing things that offend a holy and a perfect God. And yet this is the reality of our situation. It's hard to hear that. And as Christians, we have heard that message. And although it has perhaps offended us, We have still taken it on board and we have acted in accordance with that message. We have come to God recognizing there is nothing we can do to dig ourselves out of this hole that we are in that's caused by sin because everything we do just heaps more sin onto the problem. It creates a a bigger burden, a bigger debt that must be paid. We need someone who is sinless to come and lift us out of this hole to deal with this massive problem that we have. And so we call out to Jesus that he, as our sinless savior, would come and redeem our lives. We hear hard things from God, difficult to swallow, and yet we are attentive to what he says and we obey. Unless lest we we have some pride that we have somehow done the right thing because we are good people, the kind of people that God wants to have. We're reminded by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, aren't we, that, that none of this is our own doing. This faith that we have, this realization that we are sinners and that we need a Savior is entirely the work of God, for it's by grace that you have been saved. It's not works. You have been saved by faith and not that of yourselves. It's not your own faith. It is a gift 
that has been given to you by God and you have responded because of what God has done for you and in you. And in responding in faith, you've been transformed by God, saved by him, forgiven, redeemed, and you've been transformed to to go and live in a new way. God has um, work for you to do, prepared for you, and you're going to go and live in that way, Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10. Our trust in God begins by hearing what he has to say, being attentive to it regardless of how difficult it may be. That is the basis of our relationship with him. We will never trust God if we don't listen to him. And we can understand that in our relationship with our earthly fathers, can't we? If you don't ever listen to your father, then you're never going to trust what he has to say. But if you do listen and hear what he says and recognizes that he might know more than you do, he's had more experience, he understands you because he's known you for longer than you've known you, (laughs) then you might recognize that this is someone that is worth listening to. Now, all earthly fathers are are imperfect, and sometimes, as a father myself, I say things and I give instructions to my children that I recognize afterwards weren't good or, or weren't right, and yet I still expect my children to hear me and trust me by listening to my voice and taking on board what I say. But I recognize much more my heavenly father always gives good advice because he is perfect in complete contrast to my uh, imperfect parenthood. We're never going to trust somebody with our lives. We're never going to trust someone with our eternal future unless we know that person, unless we hear what they have to say and take it on board. This is where any relationship begins. And so trust then develops. We find it develops as we see that everything rests on the Lord once we've begun to hear what he says. We can see that our trust grows in God in this way. If Abraham had tried to protect or preserve the promises of God himself to make sure they worked out, he wouldn't have walked up the mountain with his son. He wouldn't have gone with his servants and with his son with the wood and the knife and nothing to offer. He would have hedged his bets and taken some offering with him in the event that God maybe changed his mind at the last moment, but he didn't. We find that he went, he made the altar, he bound his son and placed his son upon it. He raised the knife ready to destroy his only hope of seeing the promises of God worked out simply because God had called him to. He would have spent the rest of his life trying to explain this to his wife and his family because God called him to. And he knew in that moment when God called him to that all of that future rested upon the Lord and the Lord first and foremost. Because God is the one who's delivered all these promises to Abraham and to Sarah and to their household. That they would be a great nation. That they would be a people that belonged to God and God would be their God and would go with them and bless them. That they would be a blessing not just to their people but to all the nations of the world. That they would be a people who possessed a land and and What goes along with that is be a people at rest, a people safe and secure in a place where they belong. All of that rests on God, who's delivered those promises in the first place. 
And so if God, knowing that, then calls Abraham to this action, Abraham knows the Lord must have some way of working this out and still being consistent, still delivering those promises. And so he was willing to go and jeopardize the life of his own beloved son. Getting up early the next morning, he went immediately, we read, and gets ready to make this sacrifice. The Lord had given him all these promises and he trusted because he had heard the Lord that the Lord would work it out in a manner that is pleasing to himself. And when he was freed from the weight of having to fulfill God's promises, he was able to obey through his, and through his obedience, the promises of God were then worked out. Abraham knew it didn't all rest on him. Look at what happened in his life earlier when Abraham tried to work out the promises of God himself. He tried to protect his wife in Egypt and it resulted in the whole household of Pharaoh being afflicted with disease. He tried to to work out the, the providing of a son to be an heir, not just of his household, but of all the promises of God. And so Ishmael was born and it brought terrible division and strife to his household. Abraham has failed time and again, but now he trusts that God will work this out in a manner of his choosing. And when everything rests on the Lord, trust in him becomes, if not easier, I don't think sacrificing Isaac was easy, it does become clearer to us. Abraham was under no illusion as to what he was to do. And so it is in our lives. It might not be easy to trust in God. It rarely is, in fact. But it is clear what we are to do to trust in God. It's hard to read this passage and not see a foreshadowing of Jesus' death in it, his crucifixion, as this innocent boy, as is pictured in the story, climbs a hill with the method of his own execution on his back and is presented as a sacrifice to God. And so we see Jesus millennia later climbing the hill at Golgotha with a cross on his back, ready to be laid down as a sacrifice. But whereas Abraham is not in the end expected to sacrifice his own beloved son, God actually does sacrifice his own beloved son for you and for me as a a means that we might be drawn into his family, as an act not just of uh, sacrifice, but of worship. And as we begin to hear God, as we begin to listen to what he says, attentive to it, we hear that hard news that we are sinners in need of a savior. But even as Christians, as we respond to that good news, We find that we are to live our lives in a certain way. And sometimes we're expected to live in ways that seem displeasing to us. We have to sacrifice things that that we would otherwise like to be involved in. We we can't participate in certain uh, things, certain ways of life, because God has said to us we're not to go there and do those things. We have to present the truth of the gospel to friends and to family, knowing that some of these friends and family will be offended at the words that we have to share and may break that relationship that we have with them. And that seems um, to to be contrary to everything in us as as a loving friend and, and family member. And yet God calls us to it nonetheless. And it's hard to trust that this is good and right. 
And yet, as we hear God's voice clearly, and as we realize that our relationships with the people around us, our faith itself, the faith that we have that that will result in our salvation, everything in our lives doesn't rest on us. It rests on God who has given us all of these things in the first place. We find that the way forward is perhaps not easy, but it is clear. I can sacrifice everything in my life for God's sake because what God has given me in Jesus as my Savior is worth more than anything this world could ever offer me. I can go and boldly proclaim the good news of the gospel to people that I I don't know and people that I know well, knowing that it might cause friction because in the end, God's desire is to work out his plans and his purposes in my life and in the life of this individual that I'm speaking to. And all of their life and my life rests upon God. Whether God saves them or not rests upon him. Whether God transforms my life and makes me more perfect or not rests upon him. And so I'm able to see a way forward, however hard it might be, clearly. I obey and obey and obey because there is no other way for me to live as a Christian and honor and glorify God, however hard it may be. Our trust rests on the finished work of God in Christ Jesus, in that sacrifice that was prefigured millennia before Jesus came. It all rests on him because when we are transformed by Christ, we are carried through this life by him. We are guided through this life by him. And he never offers us bad directions, bad guidance, never leads us down a sinful path ever. And so the way is clear for all that it might be hard. Our trust having begun by listening to God and then developing as we see everything in our lives rests on the Lord, then deepens as we remember the faithfulness of the Lord. We don't hear any more about God testing Abraham from this point on. And I don't know if it's because Abraham wasn't tested by God after this. He was an old man after all. But we do see Abraham finally understanding what it meant to trust God here. And that's perhaps why we never hear anything else about it. This is the end of a long line of tests that have by and large all failed to one degree or another. Abraham has constantly struggled. He's been told about these promises being fulfilled for his family in the chapter before this one, and he hasn't trusted in God, but in his own actions to get it all worked out. And it's always been a failure. But has he seen the faithfulness of God to him over the course of decades in his life? He's now realized that he can trust in God, however impossible it seems to Abraham that God will work out his plans and purposes through this course of action. He knows that God must, he will. And so he goes in faithfulness and in obedience. He'll trust in God because God has never, ever once failed him. And the more we recognize God's faithfulness to us in our lives in the past, the more we will understand God's faithfulness to us in the present, which will enable us to trust and obey him and look to the future trusting in that faithfulness. And this does a couple of things for us. 
Firstly, it helps us understand uh, not just who we are and where we've come from. It helps us understand how we're to live today. We trusted in God for our salvation. We were sinners denying God everything that we owed him. And yet God still came and transformed us through the work of his son when we didn't deserve it. So we can have confidence then that there is nothing in my life today, however much I'm struggling with sin, that will cause God to reject me. Because God knew all of this. He knows all the number of my days, Scripture says, from the beginning to the end. And if God was willing to save me at some point in the past, knowing all I would be in the future, there is nothing I can do today that will Um, somehow undo my salvation. I am secure completely in God's hands. So I can trust him with my salvation. God has provided for me and for my family every day of my life. He's given me food to eat and clothes to wear. He has provided the material things as well as all the spiritual things I need to grow into maturity as a Christian man. And the same is true for each one of you. He has never ceased to give you what you need so that you can glorify and worship him every single day. He might not have given you as many material blessings as you would have liked, but that's not the point, is it? He promises to give you everything that is necessary so that you'll worship him, you'll serve him, you'll follow him. It's not about how much we get. It's about how much we use what we have for his glory. It always has been. And it's true in Abraham's life. And it's true in ours. We don't always follow God as closely as we ought to. And the reason we don't do that is that we don't trust him. When he says he will uphold us, we don't believe him. So we panic and we find other means of support and of sustenance. When he says he will lead us on to have us be more mature, well-grounded and well-rounded Christian men and women for his glory, we don't trust him. And so we scrabble around and we latch on to other people and we make our spiritual life all about what they say and what they do. And when they fail us, as they inevitably will, we are destroyed spiritually and we, we... walk away sometimes from the Lord. We give over uh, into sin every time it comes when we feel we need comfort because the Lord's comfort isn't enough for us in that moment. We don't trust and so we don't obey. And yet as we seek to grow in maturity, we find our trust begins in listening to what the Lord has said. The Lord has revealed to you in his word that you are a sinner. You're going to do all of these things because sin infects your life. The Lord knows and he makes us aware of this fact. He makes no bones about it in his word. And he says to you, I have provided a savior for you who will not just save you past tense from your past sins, but will walk with you through this life constantly seeking to lead you away from sin and towards holiness. I will always be doing that work, God says in Jesus, by his word, by his spirit. And so as we hear God's word, we find the foundation of our trust is laid. We find growing from that, our trust develops as we see all of that work rests not on our shoulders, but on the Lord's shoulders. He will accomplish it as we live and work and walk in that way. 
And so we can walk with confidence, however much we might find it difficult knowing the Lord is working in my life. He has promised that he has saved me. I know he will transform me. I know he will guide me. I know he will lead me through. I know that this is the right course of action, however hard it may be for me to walk in this way because he has said it will be and he has never once been unfaithful to his word. And we find that our trust deepens as we look back and we see that faithfulness lived out by God in our lives every single day. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling to trust in the Lord at this time of coronavirus or for whatever reason it might be, there is an answer. We hear God's voice. We lean on him, knowing that he is the one who guides us and carries us through And we remember his faithfulness and so grow in strength. God bless you as you seek to grow in the trust and in obedience of the Lord. Amen. And as we come to the end of our time together, I pray that you would go into this coming week knowing the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.